It is Thursday, December 31st here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. It is New Year's Eve as well as my grandmother's birthday, so happy birthday, Tootie. Welcome to the Week 17 Preview Edition of the podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schauff. With me, as always, is Jared Smola. All the big fantasy contests and most fantasy leagues have wrapped their season-long competitions by now. We're going to get to really why that is in case you're not sure in just a minute, but first... Let me talk to you about the FFPC Playoff Challenge. This is how you can keep your fantasy season going. The FFPC Playoff Challenge is in its 18th season. There's no draft. There's no salary cap. You just fill out a 12-man roster from the 14 playoff teams in the NFL playoffs. That's two extra flex spots from previous seasons because now we have those two extra playoff teams this year, seven from each conference. The trick, of course, is you can't use more than one player from any team. So you want to play Travis Kelsey? Of course. But that means you can't use Patrick Mahomes. You can't use Tyreek Hill. Lots of decisions to make. We will have a strategy article as well as two podcasts next week to help get you ready for the competition. It's $200 to enter. You get a shot at a $500,000 grand prize. It's over a million dollars, the entire prize pool. Payouts go to the top 700 finishers. You can go now, though to myffpc.com, register for that competition. Obviously, it doesn't start until the playoffs start, but you can start registering now. Start working on your strategy. Again, that's myffpc.com, myffpc.com. More to come on that next week. But now, Jared, let's get back to week 17. And, of course, the reason that most of us are not playing our fantasy season still is because we don't know who's going to be on the field for sure. What we do know is that the Chiefs are going to be resting their starters against the Chargers this week. Yeah, Andy Reid has a long history of doing that, so that, that wasn't a surprise. Um, you know, we'll see who's actually inactive when the inactives come out on Sunday. And I, I it, it, it's going to be Chad Henney under center. Um, I, I don't expect Le'Veon Bell to play much, if at all. So you're, you know, talking Daryl Williams and probably a lot of Darwin Thompson at running back. Tyreek Hill's not going to play. Sammy Watkins has a calf injury. He's not going to play. I'm curious to see how much McCole Hardman is going to play. You know, if, if he's active, I think he'd be interesting. But, you know, honestly, I, I tend to – even in DFS, just avoid these type of situations. There's just so much unknown. And obviously the upside for the entire offense is lowered without Mahomes in there. Right. It's still the Chiefs, but there's no Patrick Mahomes. It's Chad Henney. So, I mean, if we get 12 Demarcus Robinson targets, then yeah, he'll probably do something with it. But yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not likely to get to uh, Monday of week 17 and be like, ah, oh, crap, I can't believe I didn't play Demarcus Robinson in my championship lineup. Elsewhere, Mike Tomlin has already announced that he's going to sit Ben Roethlisberger for the finale against Cleveland. A few other guys in finger quotes, according to Teresa Varley of the team website. So even more so than the Chiefs, we don't really know who's going to be sitting out for this one. I would get, let, let's hope that we know more by the 1 p.m. Eastern time kickoff. So there's still plenty of time for us to maybe learn exactly who's going to be sitting out. But we don't know that yet. I would guess that Juju Smith-Schuster, Deontay Johnson are prime candidates to sit out because each of those guys, even though they're not on the injury report right now, I don't believe, they've each been banged up at various points. Agreed there. Um, I wouldn't expect to see too much James Conner, who, you know, seems to hobble off every game he plays. Jerry Dulac, one of the Raiders, or sorry, one of the Steelers reporters, said this morning that um, T.J. Watt and Cam Hayward aren't going to play on the defensive side and that Marquise Pouncey is not going to play on the O-line there. Another case where, especially with Mason Rudolph under center, 
Um, you kind of lower expectations for the entire offense. Another situation I would try to just avoid. I would agree. Anybody really that you're considering on the Steelers side, I would probably not play in that game. TJ Watt, Cam Hayward are interesting ones because, again, they aren't necessarily on the injury report. TJ Watt did tweak an ankle last week. So, you know, it, that could factor it into it some, or it could just be the Steelers evaluating who they really could not afford to lose to an injury in this game. Situation to avoid if you can. And it certainly helps everybody on the Cleveland side. I mean, if you look at the Vegas line, they're now uh, at least 10-point favorites, and that unless that has even come up since the last time I looked. So and everybody on the Browns' offense gets a boost in matchup here um, versus where it started. I think Buffalo is the next big consideration. As far as I know, we haven't heard anything from Sean McDermott on who's sitting, have we? Nope. He basically said on uh, Tuesday or Wednesday, I mean, he's sort of not giving away what he's going to do. He, he did sit starters in Week 17 last year, though. That's sort of where, where I would lean. Um, I was looking at the Vegas line this morning. It's it's back to Bills by two. I know it opened at like six. It was down to a pick at one point. So I think Vegas isn't quite sure here either. I could see the starters playing like a series or two in this game and then getting pulled. Yeah. I mean, we're going to have to see if we get any reports from like Schefter or Rappaport on Sunday morning that they hear the Bills guys are going to start the game and then come out early. Unless we hear that, if you are starting in week 17, I mean, I think you have to at least keep Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs in starter territory. I would downgrade them some from where you would normally play them. And it's a little bit easier because it's a difficult matchup for passing with Miami. Mm -hmm. But I think ultimately you can't just bench Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs for whoever, unless we get some kind of message that they're going to be limited. Yeah, of course, it depends who your other options are. Like, I'm not going to bench Josh Allen for CJ Beathard. Um, but if I have another viable option, like a Derek Carr, you know, someone like that, I would lean towards benching Josh Allen. Steph Diggs is tougher because, one, you're starting three or four wide receivers. Two, Diggs could have a nice game in, in like, two series. And he could catch four balls for 50 yards and a score and, and be just fine. So he, he's a tougher call. Um, Allen, I would try to stay away from. We'll see who's active in the backfield. Um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if we see quite a bit of Zach Moss in this game, their rookie, who's, you know, so, sort of taken over as the lead guy. Anyways, but um, again, you know, tough, tougher matchup against Miami. So not an upside spot for the offense in general. Yeah, I mean, to me, this seems like a prime spot to give Zach Moss as much work as you can, because uh, not only has he been leading the backfield to this point, he's not a player that they would really be in trouble if they lost. It would help to rest the pass offense, even if those guys are playing. And it's a Miami defense that's weaker against the run than the pass anyway. So like all those factors go in to, I think, making this a pretty good spot. You know, again, we don't know. We're just guessing. But to me, it seems like a good situation for it to make sense for the Bills to work Zach Moss more in this game. Wouldn't be surprised if we get plenty of Gabriel Davis as well. Cole Beasley is also managing an injury, so that kind of factors into the whole wide receiver picture. John Brown's going to be interesting to watch. I mean, he's coming off that injury, of course, has not seen any action since week 10, was on the COVID list last week after coming back off of IR. So he, I'll be curious to see where he's at leading up to the game. I don't know that he's really a fantasy factor with us you know, having so many unknowns heading into this game. Yeah, I could see the Bills playing Brown for a series or two just to sort of, you know, get his feet back under him after missing so much time. But I'd be surprised if he plays the entire game coming off the injury. Bruce Arians was nice enough to confirm this week <laughs> that the Bucks are going to play everybody, that they are playing to win the game against Atlanta. So we don't have to wonder about him benching Tom Brady. And he said even, uh, it's not likely that we're going to run up a whole bunch of points like we did in the first half against Detroit last week. <laughs> and get to rest guys in that scenario because Atlanta has been playing better lately. It did play the Bucks tough a couple weeks ago. So we can at least feel relatively safe in playing our Bucks players in this game. Yeah, and that one makes sense because, you know, the Bucks win, they clinch the fifth seed, which is important because that means they get to play, you know, the, the, the NFC East winner 
rather than, you know, traveling to like Seattle or uh, New Orleans for the first round of the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Any other teams beyond that that you're concerned about or keeping an eye on? Nope. I mean, that, that's it as far as teams. I mean, you know, the teams that are out of it, you know, no shot at the playoffs could always rest some guys. We see that from time to time, but, you know, we'll, we'll see what we hear on Sunday morning. Yeah, those are the scenarios that we really have no idea about because if your team is not playing for a playoff spot, then you can do anything. If there's some specific player you want to see, you can yeah. take a look at him. I have I have seen that in other recent Week 17s, that aspect can be overblown a bit. Usually we see the usual guys getting their usual work in terms of you know starting running backs, starting wide receivers. But it is the kind of week where anything can just kind of come out of nowhere and surprise you. Some other guys dealing with injuries or other situations that will be out. Jared Goff is out with after his thumb surgery, of course. The Rams wide receivers will also be down Cooper Cup. So we're looking at John Wolford starting for the Rams in this win and get in situation for them. Robert Woods, Josh Reynolds, the wide receivers. I think we're going to get a lot of tight ends and running in this game. Definitely. I mean, you, you look at Wolford. I mean, he's never he's never attempted an NFL pass. He completed just 60 percent of his passes at Wake Forest, 59 touchdowns and 41 interceptions over his career. So it does not look like a exciting you know passing prospect. He did run for over 1200 yards and 16 touchdowns over his final two seasons at Wake. So you know, we could see McVay maybe get him outside the pocket a bit, see what he can do there. But as far as other parts of the Rams passing game, it's just Robert Woods for me. He really should dominate targets with Cup out. I think he'll see more action in the slot. With Cooper Cup out, we'll probably see Josh Reynolds and Van Jefferson on the outside. So I think, you know, a slot receiver might be better for someone like Wolford making his first start. I, I think Woods, you know, should get 25 plus percent of the targets here, but not going to be a ton of passing volume and it's probably going to be inefficient. So I think Woods is still like a wide receiver three this week. Yeah, Wolford, by the way, had one season in college where he had more touchdown passes than interceptions. Now he's yeah, right forward, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Dalvin Cook is going to miss this week because his father died, unfortunately, this week. Um, so he's going to be with family instead of at the game. Alexander Madison looks like their lead back. He, of course, had a limited practice Wednesday, so he's not even a clean start here. He has not carried more than two times in a game since week nine. And, of course, Alexander Madison's lone start of the season was a huge disappointment for anybody who played him in fantasy. 10 carries, 26 yards, and a 40-23 to loss to Atlanta. Did have a big game at Seattle the week before that, and Atlanta's been kind of an underrated run defense as we've been planning fantasy lineups throughout the year. Yeah, so Madison had the appendectomy, missed like two or three weeks, came back and suffered a concussion in that first game back, and then missed last week. He was limited at Wednesday's practice this week, so he's making progress, um, has a chance to play. If he... He's cleared. I think Madison is the guy there. And like you said, Matt, you know, Atlanta's been a tougher matchup this season. He did have the big game against Seattle. You know, th- this matchup is just so good against Detroit, who is 31st in adjusted points to allowed to running backs. They you know look like they've quit on the season. You know, what we saw in that Bucks game last Saturday. So whoever's running for Minnesota, I expect to have success. I think it'll be Madison if he's active. If he's not, I mean, we're down to Amir Abdullah and Mike Boone. Abdullah's been playing ahead of Mike Boone now for, you know, the better part of the last month. So he'd be my guess, actually, to lead the backfield in touches if Madison doesn't play. But if Madison's out, I think, you know, it's just Abdullah and Boone maybe as DFS flyers. I wouldn't want to mess with the situation if you're you know playing for a season long championship. I agree with that. Fortunately, it's a matchup with Detroit. So basically anybody that you want to take a chance on has a shot to do something in that game. Definitely. Other situations to watch at quarterback, Kyler Murray looks like less of a situation to watch at this point. He did put in a full practice Wednesday, so it seems like his lower leg injury is should be okay for that game against the Rams. 
I don't know that we're going to get a full Kyler Murray. We'll talk about him more in a minute. Alex Smith did not practice Wednesday, was working on mobility drills off to the side instead, but he seems like he's trending toward playing. It's either going to be him or Taylor Heineke after Washington dumped Dwayne Haskins this week. So uh, dumping Dwayne Haskins tells me that Washington is at least pretty sure that Alex Smith's going to play. We'll see though. I mean, who knows? It could just be addition by subtraction, getting Haskins out of the building at this point. And then Matthew Stafford, no practice for him Wednesday. He's listed with rib and right thumb injuries, but it was the ankle that knocked him out of Saturday's game against the Bucs. So, I mean, at this point, I would sure try not to play Matthew Stafford, even if he's in the game. But knowing him, it seems like as long as he's able to stand, he'll play in that game. Right. I'm hoping Stafford plays just because I want to, you know, stack up that game in, in DFS. And I think it becomes, you know, more likely to shoot out if we do get Matt Stafford and we're not, you know, forced to, to watch uh, Chase Daniel or, or, or David Blau again. We're not going to run through all the injury scenarios here. You can check Shark Bites for all that. But there in, are there any other big ones that you think we need to keep an eye on? Yeah, James Robinson is out. Keenan Allen not expected to play. And, you know, we'll, we'll see about Hunter Henry. I think he's the other big one coming off the COVID list. So on to the QBs now, and we'll start with Kyler Murray, who we got to a little bit. Uh, even though he put in the full practice Wednesday, it's tough for me to believe that he'll, he's going to be at full strength coming off the late game injury last week. Um, they started out the week saying they weren't sure whether he was going to be available. Again, seems like he's going to be available, but uh, we get Kyler Murray at something less than 100%, and he rematches with the Rams, who allowed him three touchdown passes in their first meeting, but also just 173 passing yards, 53.8% completions, five rushes for 15 yards in that game. It was his second worst fantasy outing of the season. Oh no, sorry. Last week was his second worst fantasy outing of the season. So it, it's a little tough to like Kyler Murray yeah. anywhere near his early season level this week. Yeah, definitely. He He's sitting at borderline quarterback one range in our rankings right now. I, I might even start a few guys behind him over Murray. I do expect the rushing to be limited and I don't expect Murray to have you know much success through the air against the Rams who, you know, really have been one of, if not the best pass defense all season. Yeah. He's had one rushing touchdown over his past six games. Um, the rushing volume has climbed recently, but again, maybe the lower leg thing limits that a little bit. And uh, he's had poor passing numbers in two of his past three games says Murray. So just not three of his past five games, one total touchdown. So again, Murray, not somebody that I'm feeling overly confident about, certainly not out of the starting picture, but I would yeah. think hard about other options that you have to weigh against him. Definitely. Kirk Cousins has been a weekly argument both here and in our ranking settings meetings on Tuesday morning, but no argument this week. We started up that meeting. He was already in the top six for the week and has only climbed with the quarterbacks that we know are either out or potentially out this week. Yeah, I mean, again, it's it's the matchup against Detroit. I think you want to start everyone against Detroit. And Cousins, you know, he, he's been good. He has three passing touchdowns in, in five of his last eight games now, um, averaging two and a half passing scores per game over that span. Now, I honestly like Cousins more now with Dalvin Cook out because I thought, you know, the only risk to Cousins on Sunday would have been, you know, a 30-carry, two-touchdown game out of Dalvin Cook. Um, I think the Vikings are, are a safer bet to throw it, you know, enough where Cousins is going to have a big game against this Lions defense. Yes, I agree with that. And we've had successful fantasy outings from Cousins on fewer than 30 attempts even this season. So even if they go for 30 collective rushing attempts from the running backs who remain, I think there's plenty of room for Kirk Cousins to, to play in this game, who uh, which afforded Tom Brady an excellent game in the first half last week against Detroit. Well, I mean, Blaine Gabbert went off in the second half of that game. 
<laughs> yeah, there was two. I don't even remember where Blaine Gabbert finished, but yeah. he was at least top 24 among fantasy QBs last week. Outscored Kyler Murray, I bet. <laughs> yeah, and Russell Wilson. Matt Ryan, a couple weeks ago, we were talking about how we can't play Matt Ryan without Julio Jones in the lineup. Past two weeks, though, 356 yards, three touchdowns against the Bucks, 300 yards, two touchdowns on a season-best 77, 77% completions at Kansas City last week. Now he gets those Bucks again. Matt Ryan's in starter territory. Yeah, he is. I mean, like you said, he's played better the past couple of weeks without Julio. It'd still be nice if he had Julio, but that's that's not going to happen. And really, I, I still think this Bucks matchup is a good one. If you throw out last week when you know when they faced mostly Chase Daniel and David Blau, Tampa had allowed a 72% completion rate, 7.6 yards per attempt over their previous four games. I, I think it's a plus matchup for Ryan. He did it against this defense just a couple of weeks ago. I, I would start Matt Ryan over Kyler Murray this week. Yeah, I would feel better about that as well. Philip Rivers missed Wednesday's practice with the toe injury. He's done that every week since week 12. So it doesn't look like a question mark to play. That team, the Colts have the second highest implied point total for the week. I think every viable option against Jacksonville makes sense here. So Philip Rivers is another one of those guys in Matt Ryan range where might not have the highest ceiling, might see limited passing volume, but a safe bet and certainly with upside, depending on how much the Colts allow him to throw the ball. Yeah, I think he's at least a high floor play. Um, you know, this is definitely a game where Rivers might not throw it a whole lot if, you know, the Jags don't keep the game close and, you know, the, the Vegas line says that they won't, but um, you know, Jacksonville has allowed multiple passing touchdowns in nine straight games now and 12 of 15 games overall. So yeah, I think you're, you know, Rivers is a good bet to give you a couple of passing touchdowns at least. And then if Jacksonville does keep it closer, you know, you, you could get a ceiling game out of Rivers. Yeah. I think he falls short of Matt Ryan because I don't think that he'll need to throw the ball as much as yeah. Matt Ryan, but I think very similar range. And another guy that I think you weigh against Kyler Murray and it kind of depends on how much you're worried that you're going to get a ceiling game from Kyler Murray. I don't think that's coming against the Rams, so I'd feel better about right. Rivers' floor. Yeah, I think I would too. I mean, maybe it's a, a case where you look at your matchup. If you're, you know, favored, you go with the safer bet in Phillip Rivers. And if you, you know, need a bigger game, maybe you take a shot. Maybe, you know, Murray gives you one of those big rushing games. Mitchell Trubisky is another guy who has finished in starter territory way more than he should in fantasy. <laughs> the Bears scored 25 points, tallied 350 total yards against the Packers in the first meeting. Does that make you want to play Mitchell Trubisky this week? That was a lot of garbage time. If you, if you remember that game, the Packers, you know, got out to a big lead and Trubisky had a, I think he had a couple of touchdowns late in that game. I mean, he, he, he's honestly playing well the past month. He's benefited from the schedule. You know, the teams he faced uh, over the last four have ranked uh, 32nd, 22nd, 12th and 29th in adjusted points allowed to quarterbacks. The Packers are eighth. And, and again, if, if you look back at Trubisky's numbers in that game against Green Bay, just a 57% completion rate, 5.3 yards per attempt. So he, you know, he didn't play very well in that game. He just got the garbage time number. So I don't know. He, he's okay. He's hot. If you want to ride the hot hand, but like I, I would, I would start Matt Ryan and, and Phillip Rivers over Trubisky this week. Yeah, there was so much garbage time in that one. It actually qualified as the sequel to Men at Work. So the I, I would not chase what happened in that game. Mitchell Trubisky, 26 of 46 passing in that game. The Packers jumped to a 27 to 3 lead, 41 to 10 before the Bears scored two of their three touchdowns in the fourth quarter. I mean, I, I don't ex I expect Green Bay to control this game again, even though even in, in that scenario, I don't expect them to control it to that point where Chicago is chasing and Green Bay is like, do whatever you want. It doesn't matter. We're 31 points ahead of you. The Packers are also decent on defense at this point. They're 13th in football outsiders weighted DVOA, 15th in overall um, defensive DVOA. So a decent defense now. I would Again, I would not bet on Mitchell Trubisky putting up good numbers. You can find worse options, but I think you should also be able to find better options. 
Yeah, Green Bay more beatable on the ground too. So I, I would expect a heavy dose of David Montgomery at least, you know, until that game gets out of hand if it does. Mm-hmm. And the, the Green Bay defense, by the way, is coming off its two best overall DVOA performances of the season the past two weeks against Tennessee and Carolina. Russell Wilson is another one that's been more of a decision than we would have expected in recent weeks. Over his first eight games, he averaged 317.6 passing yards, three and a half passing touchdowns, and posted a 117.1 passer rating. Over his past seven games, 212.9 yards, 1.4 touchdown passes per game, and even that's boosted by four against the Jets, a 91.9 passer rating. His yards per attempt are down nearly two full yards from the first eight games versus the past seven. His pass attempts are down five per game. Where are you putting Russell Wilson for this matchup against San Francisco? Yeah, I mean, if you've been starting Russell Wilson, you're probably not still alive in your fantasy playoffs at this point. He only has one top 12 uh, quarterback finish among his last seven outings, and that came against the Jets. And even that week, he finished ninth, which was sort of disappointing. So, I mean, the only thing I can say that's good about him is at least he's running. Um, He scored uh, four-plus fantasy points with his legs in five of his last seven games. But, you know, the passing numbers just haven't been there. The Niners are, you know, a, a toughish matchup. Um, I kind of expect this to be another, you know, lower scoring NFC West battle. So, um, you know, Wilson, well outside the top 12, I would start, I'd start Kyler Murray over him. I'd start all, all these other guys. I would, I was going to say Trubisky. I don't know if I'd start Trubisky over him. I would definitely start Ryan and Rivers over Rasta. If I were just setting rankings on who will score more fantasy points, I will yeah. probably put Mitchell Trubisky. But if I'm setting a lineup and relying on a quarterback, I would start Russell Wilson over Mitchell Trubisky. I would start every other quarterback that we've discussed to this point over him, though. I mean, could he produce? Sure. In the first meeting with San Francisco, he put up, he completed 73%, 261 yards, four touchdowns. Uh, there was no Richard Sherman in that game for one thing, though. Yeah. And San Francisco has, has posted three of its four best DVO ratings, DVOA ratings on defense among the past five games. So they're playing better lately. Something that surprised me about this game is that the Seahawks are tied for 10th in implied points. That's not too high, but they're ahead of the Texans, Chargers, Falcons, Cardinals, Eagles this week. They're implied for 26 points. Seattle's reached that number once in the past five games and just twice in the past seven. So I I don't think they're a great bet to reach that Vegas implied point total. Neither do I, but I mean, you know, Vegas tends to be pretty good at this stuff. So maybe maybe that's a reason to be a bit more optimistic on Russ. Yeah, that it, it made me second guess as I was going through this. And Seattle is still sixth in overall offensive DVOA and seventh in weighted DVOA. That's where Football Outsiders weighs the more recent games more heavily than the early season games. So, I mean, it's still not a bad offense. It's still Russell Wilson. There's certainly the chance he puts up a game, but, you know, you're betting against what has happened over the previous seven games. So, right. Over to running back, we start with Antonio Gibson, who might not wind up being a decision for us because he didn't practice Wednesday with that toe injury that that had kept him out for multiple games. He returned last week, but Antonio Gibson put in limited practices all three days last week before playing in that game. So it's at least somewhat of a downgrade versus where he was last week. Yeah, we'll definitely monitor over the next couple of days. Um, I, I took it as, you know, ju- I'm just giving him a day off returning from the injury, which I'm sure he's still not at 100%. He, and he was definitely limited in his return last week, only played 30% of the snaps, uh, only ran a pass route on 20% of the dropbacks, but he did have 10 of the 15 running back carries. He got four targets. And even though JD McKissick got 10, uh, you know, Gibson was still involved in the passing game. And, you know, th- this is a must win game for Washington. So, you know, maybe they sort of push Gibson into a bigger role here. Uh, matchup's not ideal against Philadelphia, but I, I think Gibson is a fine RB two this week. 
Yeah, I agree. As long as he's good to go, I would I would start him in most cases. Terry McLaurin's still not practicing Wednesday, too, yeah. so we're going to have to watch and see if he's playing. That will affect the target picture. Yeah, he reportedly has a high ankle sprain. So if that's the case, you know, again, you know, maybe they try to push him back because it's a must-win game. But I, if he plays, I wouldn't expect him to be effective with that injury. Yeah, so that certainly would push more targets to the backfield, especially if Alex Smith is available. And we had J.D. McKissick, as you mentioned, see 10 targets, carried eight to- – or caught, I'm sorry, caught eight of them for 77 yards in that game. Obviously, if Gibson's out, McKissick jumps up. But I think he's a solid to strong play in PPR, even if Gibson's playing in this game. Yeah, with McLaurin probably out and you know, Smith hopefully back. You know, that, that, but both those things boost uh, McKissick's target projection. Jeff Wilson Jr., 22 carries last week against Arizona. Only Derrick Henry and David Montgomery beat him in carries for the week. Jeff Wilson had 28 more rushing yards than anyone else in the league for the week. He had 88% of the 49ers running back carries in that game. Just two of the seven targets, but we'll take that if you're going to blow up on the ground. Niners ran for just 52 yards in the first meeting against the Seahawks, but they had 12 Jermichael Hasty carries in that game, three for Tevin Coleman, three for Jarek McKinnon. So definitely not the same backfield, even with Jeff Wilson Jr. as the leader here. Jimmy Garoppolo was actually second on the team in rushing hmm. attempts for that game. Uh, that was the Garoppolo got benched game. I played him in DFS. I lost all my money. We talked up Wilson on last week's pod, I think. You know, just the, the Niners obviously don't want to give the ball to Tevin Coleman or Jarek McKinnon. McKinnon did play in a lot of the passing situations last week. But again, Wilson should dominate carries here. Seattle's been decent against the run this season. They, they've been, a you know, they, they've sagged a bit lately. Um, so I, I think it's like a neutral matchup. Going to get good volume out of Jeff Wilson. So I think he's a nice fantasy play this week. Yeah, it's a pretty similar matchup to last week where the defense is solid, but it's not yeah. something that needs that makes you want to bench players. So I, there's absolutely no reason to bench Jeff Wilson at this point, I don't think. Agreed. Ronald Jones is back for the Bucks. He had 18 carries for 80 yards and a touchdown his last time out, but missed that week 15 meeting with Atlanta. The Falcons, we mentioned, tougher run defense than most people probably still even realize. Sixth in run defense DVOA on the season. The Bucks fell way behind in the first meeting, so we didn't really get a good look at how they would run against them. They wound up with 18 rushing attempts versus 45 passing attempts. Not a great spot for Ronald Jones, but he should at least be the lead back again. Yeah, I'd expect that. You know, we're still keeping an eye on that pinky that he had surgery on before landing on the COVID list. It, it seemed like he you know, might have returned that week anyway. So I think he's going to play. Maybe it limits his pass catching role even further. Um, but I, I do think he should lead the way in carries here. Like you said, a tough matchup on the ground, but you know the Bucks have one of the higher totals on the week, so I think Jones is a pretty solid touchdown bet here. At least he doesn't have a history of fumbles or drops. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe a broken pinky will make him a better pass catcher. Who knows? Yeah, maybe he'll concentrate more on it. Exactly. Malcolm Brown is suddenly a lead back, like we thought he was uh, after that week one blow up to start the season, but limited Wednesday with the shoulder, so we'll have to watch that. But we would assume that Malcolm Brown's going to be ready to play against Arizona, and no Cam Akers, no Daryl Henderson. Both of those guys are out. No Jared Goff, as we mentioned. John Wolford's first NFL action. I think we're going to get lots of Malcolm Brown in this game. So do I, and I don't think it's going to be necessarily pretty. Like, you know, Arizona is decent against the run um, with Wolford under center. I'm sure I'm sure they'll be you know, selling out to stop the run. But, I mean, Brown really should get, like, 20 touches in this game. The other backs on the roster are Raymond Calais and Xavier Jones, who have combined for zero NFL carries. And, you know, this, of course, is a win-and-you're-in game for the Rams. And if they lose, you know, they could they could drop out of the playoffs. So I, I would expect, expect them to, you know, not, not mess around with those other two backs and just, you know, Brown might play, you know, he might get 100% of the running back touches in this game. 
he has gotten the targets as well. So he's like, he's in the position that Jeff Wilson was last week, only he's also going to get the pass targets in this game. You know, throw in that it's John Wolford and they're probably not going to be looking to throw as deep and that there's no Cooper Cup. I mean, Malcolm Brown could lead the league in touches this week. It would not be a surprise. Arizona's coming off its worst rushing DVOA performance of the season last week. The week before that, they had their best DVO rating of the season in run defense against Philly. Yeah. So I think ultimately it's a, a fairly neutral matchup, yeah. a little bit more toward difficult than it is toward easy, but you're playing Malcolm Brown for the volume. Exactly. Dare Ogunbowale, tell me why we're bothering to talk about him in week 17. I mean, he's kind of like Malcolm Brown. He's just he, he's a volume play. And I, I wasn't sure last week if if they'd use Divino Zigbo a bit more, especially on early downs. But it was all Ogumbale. Played seventy one percent of the snaps, got fourteen of the sixteen running back carries, and five of the seven running back targets. So you know he got nineteen opportunities. I think you can kind of project him for a similar number here. The, the matchup isn't great against the Colts. Um, again, kind of like with Malcolm Brown, I wouldn't expect. Big efficiency, but you know, a guy that's going to get 15 to 20 touches is definitely in play at running back. With Divina Zigbo and Dare Ogunbowale in the same backfield. I mean, the only way that could be more fun is if they get a, a full Matu Mafala before the game <laughs> happens. Uh, for me, no thanks on Ogunbowale against the Colts' number eight overall defense in DVOA. I, obviously, when if you're looking at him, you're looking you know down to the bottom of RB2 range and maybe even beyond that. But I would just rather take a shot on Latavius Murray if he's good to go health-wise. J.D. McKissick really in any format, especially PPR. Wayne Gallman, I feel like I'd probably take a shot on over Ogunbowale, but that one's pretty close. The next guy that we're going to talk about, I think I would also play over Ogunbowale this week. Oh, nice. Ty Johnson. I thought you were going to be anti-Ty Johnson. I was actually anti-Ty Johnson. And then in getting ready for this, I realized that Michael P. Ryan has landed on the COVID list and tested positive, so he's not even a chance to play this game. So we've got no Frank Gore. We've got no LaMichael P. Ryan. We've got the Patriots' eighth-best running back scoring matchup by our adjusted fantasy points allowed. So not a total pushover, but a couple weeks ago they were a total pushover. Salvin Ahmed, 23 carries for 122 and a touchdown. Matt Breida in the same game, 12 carries for 86. I mean, we could get a huge Ty Johnson game. <laughs> To close out the season. Well, yeah, New England's dead last in football outsiders run defense DVOA. When I watch Patriots games recently, you know, they, they look like the worst run defense in the NFL. We've seen the Jets be, you know, go, go run heavy even in games they're getting crushed. So I, I think they're, they're you know, going to continue in that direction. We do still have Josh Adams in the picture. I, you know, you could see Ty Johnson and Adams kind of split the rushing work. I do think Johnson's going to do the pass catching stuff. You know, Adams isn't much of a factor there. Um, Ty Johnson has caught 14 of his 18 targets this season. So I think at minimum, you're going to get like 10 carries and, you know, a handful of targets out of Ty Johnson. Possibly you get, you know, 15 plus carries out of him. And Ty Johnson got a lot more carries than Josh Adams the last time that Frank Gore went down there, that concussion. It was like 23 carries for Ty Johnson that game, wasn't it? Yes, that sounds familiar. And I, I'm, I'm telling you, I, I still think Ty, Ty Johnson's a pretty good running back. He's averaging 4.9 yards per carry this season. Only, only 43 attempts, but you know, to do that on the Jets is, is pretty impressive. Jared, if we've learned one thing, it doesn't matter whether running backs are any good. It's all about opportunity. That's, that's true. So yeah, Ty Johnson, I, I, he'll probably even climb our rankings from where he is right now because I have nothing against him. Beyond the games that I mentioned, Cam Akers had a huge game against New England. Kenyon Drake had two touchdowns. Zach Moss has three rushing touchdowns against the Patriots this season. I'm sure we'll be talking about Ty Johnson on tomorrow's DFS show. Over at wide receiver, C.D. Lamb, the last time he faced the Giants this season, eight catches for 124 yards on 11 targets. That was, of course, the game where we lost Dak Prescott to the ankle injury, but... Even before Dak Prescott went down, 
CD Lamb had nine targets among the first 20, among the 21 pass attempts that Dak Prescott threw in that game. So about 43% of those seven catches for 113 before Dak left fairly early in the third quarter. No teammate had more than three targets in that span. No teammate had more than four targets by the end of the game. So that tells me that the Cowboys went into that game saying CeeDee Lamb's going to be our guy that we're going to go to in this one because that's the matchup to exploit. And I mean, if you're the Giants, obviously you know that from the first one, but you can't say, all right, we're going to take away CeeDee Lamb at all costs because Michael Gallup and Amari Cooper are at the other two wide receiver spots. Yeah, I mean, the slot has been a good spot to attack the Giants' past events all season, so that makes sense. I, I, I like Michael Gallup here in this spot like just as much as CeeDee Lamb. James Bradbury is expected to, and you know, I, I you know, I, I agree that he will end up shadowing Amari Cooper in this game. So I, I think Cooper is your, you know, third Cowboys receiver as far as fantasy projections here. Um, Gallup leads Dallas in targets over the past five weeks with 37. It's 37 for Gallup, 31 for Amari Cooper, 30 for CeeDee Lamb. So it's been pretty even, but you know, Gallup is leading the way. It's funny, Gallup's almost been better with Andy Dalton this season than he was with Dak Prescott. But, um, you know, I, I, Lamb and Gallup both have good individual matchups here, so I think they're both nice fantasy plays. Yeah, so I agree with both of those. I, I like Lamb most in the slot and because of how Dallas approached it in the first game, and I agree with Amari Cooper being the last one. I, I don't want to overrate the shadow coverage, but when you combine that with Michael Gallup leading the group in targets since Andy Dalton returned from his concussion, I mean, I just don't see any reason to not like Michael Gallup ahead of Amari Cooper. Yep, agreed. Antonio Brown, the Bucks matchup this week clearly favors passing, even if game flow doesn't go the way it did last time. Antonio Brown's higher in our rankings than he usually is. Yeah, good matchup. He just smoked Atlanta for 93 yards and a score a couple weeks ago. You know, Brown's volume has been good since he arrived in Tampa, 6.7 targets per game as a buck. So, yeah, I mean, no reason not to like A.B. here. The, his cousin Marquise Brown target dipped last game to four after eight, eight, six, and seven in the previous four games. But those four still ranked him second on the team behind Mark Andrews. He caught a six-yard touchdown. Certainly some luck in Marquise Brown having a decent fantasy outing in that one. He only had uh, 25 receiving yards in that game. Luck, though, is more likely to come to a receiver who is more involved, and that's been the key with Marquise Brown lately. Yeah, uh, 6.6 targets per game over the last five, and he's you know scored 12-plus PPR points in all five of those games. So he, he's just been producing now for you know over a month. Um, and he went for 77 yards in a score against the Bengals earlier this season, and that, that was before you know he really snapped out of this this uh, cold streak. So another good spot for Marquise Brown. I think I think he'll stay hot this weekend. Yeah, he hasn't done a lot in the red zone. He did have the red zone touchdown last week, but just half of his six touchdowns on the seasons have been there. But he had a good game against Cincinnati. Bengals have been a neutral scoring matchup for wide receivers on the season, but they have allowed a 15-plus point PPR performance to a wide receiver in three straight games. While we're on the Ravens, too, J.K. Dobbins is off the injury report after leaving yeah. last week with a rib injury. So he looks like an easy starter this week. Yep, easy starter. He's been running ahead of Gus Edwards. I think Gus Edwards, though, you know, he's been getting 10 or so carries per game anyways in this in this matchup against Cincinnati I think he'll get there again too so I think he's still in play as a RB3 or flex Giants wide receivers on the other side of that Dallas game that we just talked about Sterling Shepard has rebounded with Daniel Jones the past two weeks 451 against Cleveland nothing big on seven targets in that game but nine for 77 and a touchdown last week on 12 looks against Baltimore so I think Sterling Shepard is a pretty easy top 30 wide out Darius Slayton is the guy who could go either direction Eight, nine, and eight targets over the past three games. Caught nine of those 25 looks. So wildly inefficient. He definitely could let you down big time again in this game. And I certainly would not bet heavily on him. But 
Back in that first meeting with Dallas, it was Darius Slayton who saw 11 targets, caught eight for 129 yards. Cowboys just scored 37 points, racked up 513 yards last week, 30-plus points in three straight games. So I think we're looking at some shootout potential here or even the chance that the Giants are just chasing. Yeah, Slayton has become the new Denzel Mims where you're just like, you know, chasing that usage. Um, Like you said, 25 targets. He's top 12 in the league in air yards over the last three weeks. So, you know, maybe eventually those opportunities start hitting. Definitely could in this matchup against Dallas. Um, You know, the floor is low, but, you know, Slayton could definitely be someone that, you know, helps you win your week. 49ers wide receivers probably we're going to want to avoid. There's Debo Samuel's already out. Brandon Ayuk is now out too. Kendrick Bourne is the de facto lead receiver. And Richie James gets another opportunity. He he should start opposite Kendrick Bourne. He actually started last week as well. Yeah, James actually ran more pass routes than Kendrick Bourne last week. Now, this week, I think they're both going to be full-time players with Brandon Ayuk out with his injury. Um, and I, I guess my concern, I mean, and of course they get the matchup against Seattle, which I still think is a good one, even though Seattle has been a bit better lately. Um, I don't know. CJ Bathard just loves George Kittle though. You know, they have that Iowa connection. Um, you know, Richie James ran all of those pass routes last week, only got one target. Kittle got five targets on just 16 pass routes. You know, he, he was limited, but still got the five targets. So I, I'm not, I'm not sure we can bank on good volume from either of these receivers. Um, you know, despite the fact that Ayuk and Debo are going to be out. Yeah, I think that if you're in a league deep enough that these guys actually make sense for you, then you guys should not be playing in week 17 <laughs> because you're probably a fairly sharp fantasy league and it's just not the time <laughs> to be doing it. I think yeah. that Kendrick Bourne and Richie James are more like DFS flyers this week yes. than season-long factors. Richie James, by the way, I believe he's 3,100 on DK. Yep, popping near the top of our uh, dollars per point rankings. Oh, yeah. I might, I'm might. i going to have to play some Richie James just because I was not on him at all for that big game earlier this season because he was questionable entering. Yep. Jerry Judy continues to be ridiculously inefficient. The Jerry Slayton, but without the production. What are you doing with him this week, Jared? Yeah, and you know, most of the season he's been inefficient because of quarterback play. Last week was like maybe the worst wide receiver performance I've ever seen. He dropped, it must have, I, I love to check what PFF says, but I feel like he dropped five balls in that game. And, you know, a bunch of them were, were deep downfield. But he got 15 targets, a 32% target share. I think Denver might just be like, you know, let's, let's try to get this first-round rookie who hasn't done much this year. Let's, let's try to get him going down the stretch, Drew Locke. You know, t- target the the crap out of this guy. And he gets the Raiders this week. If he hangs on to the ball, I think, you know, Judy could have a, a, a nice game here. I, I don't know. If I'm the Raider, if I'm the Broncos, I'm certainly giving him opportunities, but I don't know that I'm overplaying it given how big a backlash there was against Judy this week. And I mean, I'm most importantly, I'm not worried about Judy long-term if yeah. I'm them. To me, this game looks like it, it could just be ugly. Really? Where both Denver and the Raiders would probably prefer to run the ball more than they've been able to lately. I mean, the Raiders have been putting up big passing numbers, but they've also been losing. They're playing a worse team this week. I wouldn't be surprised if we get like a 20 to 17 final here and neither team throwing more than 30 passes. I wouldn't be surprised if we get that. I wouldn't be surprised if it ends up kind of turning into a sneaky shootout too. Though The game has a 51 point over under. It's actually the uh, one, the fourth highest over under of the week. I mean, it's, it's two beatable defenses. So I, I do think it's an interesting, you know, DFS game to maybe get some pieces of. Uh, give me the under on 51. By the way, according to PFF, it was five official drops for Jerry Judy last week. So bad, so bad. It's pretty ugly. Um, I would generally lean away from playing Jerry Judy this week just because he's been awful before that, just production-wise. The combo of his hands and Drew Locke, I mean, I I just don't want to trust it this week again, especially with the game that I expect to come from it or at least think could come from it. I would rather play Darius Slayton. I think that they're similar, but I think the floor for Judy is even lower than it is for Slayton. 
That's fair. Um, I think these last two guys, too, I would lean towards over Jared Ewey this week. Uh, the first one's LaVisca Chenault, who 16 catches on 24 targets now over his last three games. You know, he, he's basically been a full-time player alongside DJ Chark in that offense. Also has three carries over that span. You know, they've pretty consistently been giving him a carry or two every game. So I like Chenault this week, you know, even in the matchup against the Colts. And then on the other side of that game, Zach Pascal, he he's led the Colts wide receivers and pass routes over the past two weeks. He'd been third in that department for quite a while behind T.Y. Hilton and Michael Pittman. Pittman, by the way, has a concussion. Um, he was limited Wednesday, so he has a chance to play. But um, I, I think Pascal, um, you know, behind T.Y. Hilton is the next best bet in that wide receiver core right now. And again, any of those guys could have a big game in that matchup against Jacksonville. Yeah, I'd take a shot on both of those guys over Judy as well, especially if Michael Pittman's out for that game. I mean, for Zach Pascal, really, the target ceiling is not high, but the matchup with Jacksonville um, certainly boosts the the call there. At yep. tight end, George Kittle played just 50% of the offensive snaps in his return game last week, but only Brandon Ayuk and Richie James ran more routes. His five targets led the team. He caught four of them for 92 yards. Maybe would have even added a touchdown if a Kyle Juszczyk party hadn't broken out. So Kyle, George Kittle is back to being one of the top tight end players. Definitely. You know, even limited last week, he had a nice game. Again, I think C.J. Beathard's just going to, you know, look his way every time he's out in a pass route. And, you know, it's possible Kittle plays a bit more in his second game back. And why wouldn't you look his way? Even if I'm watching a 49ers game, I'm looking at George Kittle most of the time. Definitely. Er Irv Smith, it kills me to see his name every time this week because if I had started him last week over Dalton Schultz, I would have won a title and 300 bucks instead of second place and 50 bucks. So it bothers me. I have to tell myself, though, that he really wasn't the play based on how things were going into the game. It was really out of nowhere. He saw four more targets than in any other game this season. He saw five more than in any game since week six. The Saints had allowed just one touchdown, two tight ends since week five, and that one touchdown was a Travis Kelsey the week before. Even Travis Kelsey only had 68 receiving yards against the Saints. Tyler Conklin has been heavily involved lately. He actually edged Irv Smith nine to eight in targets and eight to seven in catches over the previous two games leading up to that New Orleans game. So I have to tell myself that it wasn't really that bad a play to not play Irv Smith last week. It was just one of those goofy fantasy things. That said, this week, there's no such decision because he's got the Lions. Yeah, don't don't let that stop you from playing him in like DFS this week either. Detroit was tough against tight ends for a lot of the season, but you know they that that that's changed lately. They've allowed a tight end to hit double digit PPR points in four straight games now. Um, Irv Smith and Kyle Rudolph combined for five catches, fifty yards, and two touchdowns in, in the first meeting. So even with Conklin more involved, who I think he's even a sneaky DFS play this week, a bit cheaper than Irv Smith. Um, but yeah, I think Irv's like a top five tight end play this week. Tyler Conklin was somebody that I liked as a deep dynasty sleeper back shortly after he was drafted before Irv Smith was in the picture. He's just kind of gotten lost because they have Kyle Rudolph and they have Irv Smith, but he's a talented guy who was productive at a max school in college. Plus athlete too. So again, you know, they, they've been going two tight end sets there, both on the field quite a bit. So I think they're both in play this week. Irv Smith, the, the better option. Mike Jasucki returned from injury last week, four catches, 54 yards on seven targets against the Raiders, led the team in targets in that game. And of course the week two meeting against the Bills was his biggest game of the year. And really it also highlighted that he's not really a tight end and that helps yeah. with matchup against Buffalo. Of course, we'll see who's playing for the Bills in this game, but even if they have the full defense out there, Jasicki didn't get the tight end treatment in that game. He put up eight for 130 and a touchdown on 11 targets. He also had four catches in each matchup with Buffalo last year when Buffalo was even a tougher matchup for tight end scoring. None of those targets have come against Jordan Poyer, 
who often sees tight ends and coverage. Matt Milano has missed two of the three games, including the game earlier this season, but none of the week two targets came against his replacement in that game. So I don't think that this matchup is as tough for Jasicki as it might be for other tight ends. And he is in a very good spot. He's been very productive lately. Look at you saying nice things about Mike Gusecki. My concern here, though, is that Miami's going back to Tua. And you know, even look at last week's game, Gusecki had six yards when Tua left that game. Then he had two catches for 48 yards from Fitz. And, you know, Fitzpatrick played that week two game against Buffalo as well. So, I, you know, Tua just lowers the ceiling on the passing game. So I, th- I think Gusecki's fine. Uh, not someone I'm super excited about, though. But what about in the second half after they take Tua out of the game? <laughs> yeah, that's what you got to hope for, I guess. <laughs> it's weird that that could actually be a factor in making decisions here. Definitely. I mean, the fans got to win that game to get in. So Hayden Hurst, 11 targets, nine catches, two touchdowns over the past two weeks, had a decent four catch, 21 yard, one touchdown game against the Bucks in week 15. What are you doing with Hayden Hurst this week? Yeah, I mean, he's like a sec. He's fine. I mean, he had the two duds against the saints. He had the dud against the chargers. I mean, I know I, I played him in DFS. Other than that though, he has four plus catches in seven straight games. So, you know, he, he's been a pretty solid floor play at tight end. Mm-hmm. He's basically what Hunter Henry was earlier in the season when we were waiting for the touchdowns to come. It's a, yep. a low floor for yardage, but a decent bet for targets. The Bucks are the, just the 10th friendliest matchup, so not a huge boost, but it is a positive matchup. They're 20th in, in tight end coverage, so it's a, it's a yeah. solid spot. Yeah, and you're, you're, you're almost guaranteed to get like 40-plus pass attempts out of Matt Ryan. Mm-hmm. Jordan Aikens is the last tight end we'll talk about. For me, the biggest factor here is that this game has a 56 and a half point over under. It's the high for the week. And they scored a lot more than that in the first meeting, 72 points in regulation before we got to overtime in that week six meeting. So there should be plenty of points here. Jordan Aikens missed that game, but Houston tight ends combined for eight catches, 113 yards and a touchdown. Deshaun Watson threw for 335 and four touchdowns. The teams combined for 1,019 yards. Yeah, that was a fun game. I, I love this game this week. And, you know, that's why I think Aikens is an option. Um, I like him less than I thought I was going to because the Texans went back to a committee at tight end again last week. Aikens and Farrell Brown ran her out on 42% of the dropbacks. Uh, Darren Fells was at 26%. Kahale Waring at 21%. We've seen that at times this season. Then, you know, the next week they've gone back to Aikens. It's like a full-time guy. So maybe that happens again. Um, but just the fact that, again, you know, he, he ran her out on less than half of the dropbacks last week, you know, sort of knocks him down the ranks for me a little bit. Yeah. Because he was still third on the team with four targets in that game though, last week, I'm going to go ahead and take a shot on him in this game. Six, six and four targets past three, three, five and four catches, nothing huge, but enough to be a factor in, in what should be one of the highest scoring, if not the highest scoring game this week. Definitely. A couple of defenses that might be available on waiver wires. The Cardinals are first up. They get a quarterback who has never thrown a pass in the NFL. Again, John Wolford has one college season at Wake Forest where he had more touchdowns than interceptions. So not even just one good season, one season where he was a better bet for touchdown passes than interceptions. No Cooper Cup, no Cam Akers, no Daryl Henderson. Malcolm Brown can do whatever he wants, but this is a great spot for the Cardinals, Dave. Yeah, and I think as, as you've pointed out, the Cardinals' pass rush has really heated up lately. Um, they have three-plus sacks in five of their last six games. They have 17 sacks over their last three. So it's been a good fantasy defense anyways. The Patriots are in starter territory as a defense. And, you know, you would think it's auto against the Jets, but I'm not sure that the Jets are as good a matchup as they were just a few weeks ago. They've scored 23 points each of the past two weeks, one total turnover among their past three games. The last time they faced the Patriots, 27 points. One turnover, 322 total yards. Joe Flacco, of course, played quarterback in that game. I'm not going to downgrade him because they've got Sam Darnold instead of Joe Flacco for this one. The Patriots allowed 383 yards to the Dolphins, 
474 to the Bills over their past two games. And the Pats have had just one game with more than one takeaway among their past nine. Yeah, Jets offense playing a bit better. Patriots defense isn't good. I think we should probably knock the Patriots defense down a few spots in the rankings. I'm not, you know, they're not a D I'd be excited to play this week. I agree. And the, the last one we're going to talk about is one that I think I would play over the Patriots this week. The Seahawks are coming off five straight solid to strong fantasy outings on defense. They held each of those five opponents to 17 points or fewer. That included just nine points to the Rams last week. The Seahawks have not allowed an opponent to score more than 23 points since week nine. They have three plus sacks in three straight games and eight of their past nine games. That span included a pair of safeties. So now we get that defense against 49ers who are on their third quarterback. No Debo, no Brandon Ayuk, no Raheem Mostert. Right. Seattle's faced a lot of bad offenses over that stretch, but you know, they're, they're getting another pretty bad offense here in San Francisco. I, I do think CJ Bathard is, you know, a worse matchup for opposing D's than Nick Mullins. Look at their interception rates and, you know, Mullins is quite a bit worse than CJ Bathard, but it's again, it's still a good spot for Seattle. I, I like the Seahawks over the Patriots defense this week. All right. So look for the Seahawks to pass the Patriots in our rankings and that's going to do it. For this New Year's Eve edition of the podcast, head over to DraftSharks.com now. You can see our full Week 17 rankings if your fantasy season is still running. Make sure you keep track of Shark Bites for updates on all the important players this week. Jared, Tyler, and I will be back with you at noon tomorrow on New Year's Day to preview the final full DFS slate of the season. You can also find us on Twitter. We are at DraftSharks. Jared is at SmolaDS. I am at ShaufDS. It's S-C-H-A-U-F. For Jared Smola and the rest of the DraftSharks crew, I'm Matt Shop saying thanks so much for swimming with us.